1: We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it, We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is
0: Always Right on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France.
2: Yes, indeed. Good morning. Thank you so very much for joining us on this Monday. It is the 28th morning of the third month of the year of our Lord, 2022, and I do truly appreciate you. A lot of choices in morning radio, obviously, a lot of different places you can go for a lot of different things. The fact that you choose this show each and every day is very, very uh, much appreciated, and and to be honest with you it's uh, it's highly valued. I value people who are willing to listen to the truth and who are willing to educate and inform themselves and offer their own information in a terrific um discussion and engagement and trading of uh, spirited ideas. This is what it is all about. I really really mean that. So thank you so much for being with us whether you're a regular or a regular visitor uh which of course is the most important to me. I always make that analogy. A bar owner cannot keep a bar without his regulars. If you count on people just wandering by and walking in, you are going to go under. If you are just walking by and walking into this show for the first time, welcome. We hope you will join our regulars in becoming a regular visitor here on Always Right. Big show today. A lot of very important things to discuss. We got fights going on on stage at the Oscars, which is the only reason I knew that last night was the Oscars and we've got some we've got the audio for you. We've cleaned it up so that you uh, don't have to worry about any uh uh any uh, unexpected words uh that you might uh, you might hear and maybe you already saw the video, maybe you already saw different coverage of this, but we've got some thoughts on it we're going to share with you. But we've got fights going on on stage and then we've got a call for regime change by the president of the United States for Russia. Oh wait a second. Three seconds went by. We have a correction. The White House has just corrected the regime change commentary by President Biden. This is getting to be comical, except that it's so serious. Joe Biden goes off script in front of a microphone, commits one of his notorious gaffes, and automatically, working overtime, the White House is in there rewriting what he said to tell you that he didn't say what you just heard. It is simply comical, except for the fact that it is so dangerous. So we've got to uh, talk about that. And we are we are going to talk about that. Huge, huge endorsements offered up by the Cuyahoga County GOP. It's the second largest county in the state of Ohio. And they met on Saturday. And they offered up endorsements after listening to speeches, presentations, greeting candidates. Uh, all three gubernatorial candidates were in the room. In, on, uh, uh, on Saturday morning and it's kind of interesting Mike DeWine actually showed up and worked the room hard by all accounts talking to voters who are part of the uh, committee the Cuyahoga County uh, um, uh, GOP uh, uh, Central Committee talked to them, worked them Joe Blystone was there Cowboy Hat and all trying to work the room trying to get a little bit of magic and Jim Renese was there also work in the room. And when it was all said and done, it wasn't even close. The farmer should have stayed on the farm, and the little Napoleon should have stayed in his bunker, because Jim Renacci wiped both of them out combined in earning the endorsement of the Cuyahoga County Republican Party. And I will say this about that. I've got nothing against Joe Blystone. I've got everything against Mike DeWine. And in the interest of getting rid of Mike DeWine, we need Joe Blystone to get out of the way and allow a real candidate to win this thing. Uh, and I hope that people are listening. That was a tremendous outcome on, and more, more importantly, a tremendous rebuke of Mike DeWine on Saturday morning. Uh, so that was a terrific thing to see. And I thank uh, several people who are giving me text messages of play-by-play of what was going on in there. Some of the speeches that were given uh, were, were supposedly incredible. Charlie Kalani, one of my friends who is uh, uh on that committee, he was there. He gave a speech in support of Renee's. He, Shannon Burns gave an impassioned speech, from what I am told, as well. Uh, So really a terrific outcome there. There needs to be a momentum shift in the race for governor, and that momentum needs to go away from Mike DeWine and toward a candidate who can beat Mike DeWine. If uh, I felt like Joe Blystone could, I might be interested in supporting that, but I don't believe it is. It's not possible. And he has proven himself time and time again, to my uh, uh, understanding and to my uh, my estimation, uh, to be completely unprepared and impossibly uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Incompetent to running the state of Ohio. It's just you know, it's a nice idea and it's a cute story, but it is not something that's even remotely possible. A man who says, "What do I know about running a campaign? I'm just a farmer." Can't then say, "But I know how to run a multi-billion-dollar state budget." Stop. Just stop. So terrific news there. Other outcomes uh, in that uh, uh, in that uh, endorsement uh, meeting on on uh, Saturday. In that hotly contested race for the United States Senate nomination for the Republican Party, the Cuyahoga County GOP voted for Mike Gibbons, and he has earned their endorsement. Um, Josh Mandel, J.D. Vance, uh, Jane Timken, Matt Dolan, not even close factors in that. We've got more on Josh Mandel coming up here, who has turned his campaign into something that is unrecognizable. Unless you are watching Democrat politics, then you would recognize it very, very much. And it's very, very disappointing. I'm very, very disappointed in what I'm seeing with Josh. So we'll talk about that coming up in a bit as well. So Gibbons got the endorsement there. And then in the uh, congressional race, even though there's no district to figure out what what they're running for, just in a general congressional endorsement race, uh, Max Miller. Uh, the Trump-endorsed candidate got the endorsement from the Cuyahoga County GOP. So we're going to get into all of that this morning. Uh, coming up in about a half an hour, a little less than a half an hour, about 22 minutes from now, we're going to talk to Brad Parscale, who is a part of Team Renaci. He is, uh, I'm sure, happy, as is Jim Renaci, Joe Knopp, L- lieutenant governor, uh, candidate, uh, he's going to join us to talk about what that endorsement means and about what needs to be done between now and May 3rd if there is a primary election on May 3rd, and that is a big if. But what has to be done for Jim Renese. So Brad Parr's scale of Team Renese will be with us coming up at 9.35. By the way, quick other note on the guests at 10.35. You know, we look, we do what we do on Always Right. And when I say always right, I mean never left. That means I am never, ever, ever going to take a leftist point of view. Uh, I believe in conservative principles and ideals because I believe those are constitutional principles and ideals. But having said all of that, always right, never left, does there need to be some sort of moderation? Does there need to be some sort of ability to sit with engage with, discuss peacefully and civilly in the best interest of all people on the other side of the aisle? Well, our guest at 1035, Jillian Youngblood, says yes. And we're going to talk about why that is and what that means. But there is a an organization that is endeavoring to get people together in the city of uh, of Cleveland or in northeast Ohio, more, more appropriately, and get them together to discuss solutions to the problems and to discuss maybe unity where we are divided, if it's ev- if it's even possible. Civic Genius, uh, Jillian Youngblood is going to be uh, with us. She's the executive director of Civic Genius, a nonpartisan organization working to overcome political polarization. And we are. We're polarized. When this... Um, Booking became available to me. I told my producer, I said, you know, this show is called Always Right. Are you sure she wants to come on here? Because <laughs> this is part of the polarization. I really want nothing to do with the left because I find them to be evil and disingenuous and, uh, and quite frankly, trying to fundamentally transform, i.e., change the country that I love. Not interested in uh, becoming their friends. But I am interested in listening to what Jillian has to say at Civic Genius. Uh, they have an event coming up on April 2nd in Cleveland. Uh, They're going to be bringing people from across America, apparently, uh, across the uh, political spectrum. They're not just going to be Northeast Ohioans. They're going to discuss the national issues and how they can be addressed from a nonpartisan and a unified point of view. So we're going to talk to her about it at 1035. Brad Parscale, 935. Jillian Youngblood, 1035. And right now, I ask you to rise before we get into the top stories of the day. If you would be so kind, face a flag, Near you. If you don't have one, that's okay. You can imagine one, but put your hand on your heart and join us. If you are a believer in the walking gaff machine that is President Brandon, well, then you probably have no interest whatsoever in what we're about to do. And you'll probably want to take your knee next to other Marxists, leftists, like your favorite ex quarterback. But for the rest of us,
0: I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands one nation under God indivisible with liberty
2: and justice for all so this is part of how it went down in Warsaw a
0: dictator bent on rebuilding an empire will never erase a people's love for liberty brutality will never grind down their will to be free Ukraine will never be a victory for Russia for free people refused to live in a world of hopelessness and darkness we will have a different future a brighter future rooted in democracy and principle hope and light of decency and dignity of freedom and possibilities for God's sake this man cannot remain power God bless you all and may God defend our freedom and may God protect our truth
2: so if you uh, could could understand some of that uh being slurred and spit through past his polydent uh he tried to sound forceful if he flips over his his teeth um and that's not an ageist joke that's just a biden joke f y i uh and that's not a joke really i mean it's very hard to hear him even when he tries to shout uh he's just he just mumbles and bumbles and stutters and fumbles, and even if he's trying to shout he's still clear. clear. Um, but what was clear is he called for regime change. It was the very end of the remarks. It was the last thing he wanted to close his remarks in Poland with. That this man cannot be allowed to stay in power. That's the last thing he said before he turned it, uh, before he uh, closed his speech. For goodness sakes, you can't misinterpret this, can you? I think it's impossible to misinterpret it when he actually says out loud, "This man cannot remain in power."
0: Their freedom and
2: possibilities. For God's sake, this man cannot remain power. I mean, there it is, um, and yet, literally within within minutes, the White House was doing, issuing a press release saying the White House does not uh, support the idea of regime change. That is not a part of our strategy. That is not what we are calling for. Well, didn't the boss just say we are not supportive of regime change? Joe Biden walking out of the uh, facility to the to the uh, motorcade. Mr. Biden, Mr. Biden, do you support regime change? No. Well, really, but but what about when you when you when you said, for God's sake, this man cannot remain power. Well, uh, it's just uh, you know it's in the in the in the general sense of of power vis a vis you know the thing. Um, uh, in terms of uh, otherwise, um, I mean, seriously, that's what they do. They have to twist themselves into verbal knots to undo what he said. I, I, you know what I wish? I, my kingdom for Kamala Harris to change jobs. I would love for Kamala Harris to go from vice president to press secretary. Let her have Jen Psaki's job, and let her have to try to re-explain what Biden said. Biden, in all of his cognitive glory, or his lack of cognitive ability, uh, Joe Biden fumbling and stumbling over things, and then to the the, the philosopher that is Kamala Harris, you have to clean it up. You have to explain it away. Can you imagine this person, person trying to be the mouthpiece and the spokesperson for Joe Biden?
3: It is time for us to do what we have been doing and that time is every day. We must together, work together, to see where we are, where we are headed, where we are going and our vision for where we should be. Because we have the ability to see what can be unburdened by what has been, and then to make the possible actually happen. To see what is possible, to see what can be unburdened by what has been, to reject the notion that the way things have always been has to be the way things will continue to be. I have a motto. (laughs) I drink, I eat and drink no for breakfast. I eat no for breakfast. I eat no for breakfast. (laughs) There is no vaccine for racism. The climate crisis represents an existential threat to who we are as a species. Talking about the significance of the passage of time, right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time. Because the reality... Is that the life of a black person in America has never been treated as fully human. We have supposed leaders who are pushing science fiction instead of science facts. This virus, it has no eyes. And yet it knows exactly how we see each other and how we treat each other. You guys are going to see it you 're going to literally see the craters on the moon with your own eyes oh my with your own eyes i 'm telling you it is going to be unbelievable. A friend in need is a friend in need, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and when folks vote, they order what they want, and in this case, they got what they asked for
2: that 's a two minute supercut of <laughs> Kamala Harris, the failed philosopher from Graby. It could have been six minutes. I kid you not. I don't know if I could have taken all six minutes of it, though, Uh, but that is just a little taste. So this is the leadership, uh, and people are wondering why on the left. What do we have to do? How do we stop this? Biden's poll numbers somehow, every time they get their worst, every time they reach a new record low, they plummet even deeper. If he's dealing with domestic issues like inflation and gas prices, his poll numbers plummet. If he's dealing with the border, his poll numbers plummet. If he's dealing with the economy, his poll numbers plummet. If he's dealing with foreign relations and the war in Europe, even if he goes to Poland to try to shout past the censors, <laughs> his poll numbers continue to plummet. You wonder why? I think I just gave you an example. These are the two people leading it. 923, quick time out. I've got a lot more on this. And I've got some thoughts on the slap heard round Hollywood last night. We'll get into all of that on AM 1420 The Answer. So Joe Biden going off script typically leads to all kinds of dangerous things happening. One of the examples was calling for regime change before immediately having his team say, not calling for regime change. Here's another. This one was on Friday, also in Warsaw. Biden told U.S. troops in on Friday that they will witness the bravery of Ukrainians fighting off Russia's invasion, quote, when you're there. When you're there, in other words, you, America's fighters, he was addressing the Army's 82nd Airborne Division, and he literally said, when you're there, you'll see what these Ukrainians are doing. Does that mean he's changing his policy? Is he really thinking about confronting the Russians with their own troops on the ground in Ukraine? Quote, you're going to see when you're there, and some of you have been there, and you're going to see. You're going to see women, young people standing in the middle in front of a damn tank and just saying, I'm not leaving, I'm holding my ground, he said. Sounds like Joe Biden is sending troops to Ukraine to fight along with the Ukrainians. But what happened? Within minutes, a White House official quickly clarified and sent out a release that Biden is not sending American troops into Ukraine. It's just one clarification after another, because this man cannot be trusted to think on his feet. He cannot be trusted to, to ad-lib and say anything that is reasonable, meaningful, and sensible. What he does do is say things that are dangerous for the American troops, for the American people, and for our allies. Senator Jim Risch of Idaho said yesterday that Biden's massive gaffes um, you know, really are just demanding That his handlers, whoever writes his scripts for him, writes his speeches for him, rather, um, they need to demand, do not deviate, sir, do not even think about saying anything that isn't on that prompter in front of you, or you're going to get us all into serious trouble. Stay on script, for goodness I sake. I think uh, he, he did uh, need to
4: be there and uh, manage, help manage the relationship. Look, we're, we're fortunate to have a good ambassador there that you just had on, Ambassador Smith. Her predecessor, Kay Bailey Hutchison, did a good job. That's a complex relationship when you're dealing with uh, 30 countries and trying to bring them all together. It was important that the president go there. Uh, he gave a, a good speech uh, at the end, uh, but as you have pointed out already, uh, uh, there was a horrendous gaffe right at the end of it. I just, I wish he would stay on script. Whoever wrote that speech did a good job for him, but my gosh, I wish they would keep him on script. I think most people who don't deal in the lane of foreign relations don't realize that those nine words that he uttered uh, were, uh, would cause uh, the kind of eruption that they did. But uh, any time you say, or even as he did, suggest uh, that uh, the policy was regime change, it's, it's going to cause a huge problem. This this administration has done everything they can to stop escalating. There's not a whole lot more
2: you can do to escalate than to call for regime change. So- and that's exactly what he did, because he is completely and wholly incompetent. And, and, I, and I hate to be as blunt, but it, I mean, let's just call it what it is. He is too mentally deficient. Now, whether he would have been just as mentally deficient 20 years ago, I don't know. Maybe, probably, he was still a gaff machine then. But add his propensity for jamming his foot halfway down his gullet to the fact that he is cognitively slipping beyond repair. And now you have a very seriously dangerous individual leading this country. Jim Jordan brought it up, too. I think
5: you could say that, you know, here's a president potentially having more war-triggering type language than probably any president in American history, so we need to be careful, we need to be precise in things we say, particularly the commander-in-chief of our country. I thought it was interesting, though, I think Alex Vindman said that this was a historical speech, so historical that the White House had to go out and correct the record after he gave it. I mean, you you step back and think about it, Lawrence, we went from uh, you know, uh, Ronald Reagan uh, tear down these walls and then to the toughness of Trump to now the President of the United States, President Biden, giving speeches where he basically says, I don't know what I'm doing. So that's, that's exactly very what he's saying. Uh,
2: let's hope it stops. Uh, and let's hope that there's an end to this as soon as possible. The left was actually saying that this Biden speech um, trumped or surpassed President Reagan's tear down this Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. They actually are saying that this speech uh, improved upon that, except I don't recall anybody in the White House during Reagan's speech correcting what he said all right we're going to get a time out here we're going to come back let's go to ohio politics next jim renacy trying to chase down mike dewine the incumbent incumbent governor in the upcoming gop primary got a huge endorsement this weekend from uh ohio's second largest county we're going to talk to brad parscale of team renacy next am 1420 the answer You have financial
0: questions you'd like to ask a professional without getting a sales pitch? If so, then tune into the Bullington Capital Report with Bill Bullington Saturday mornings at 11 on AM 1420. The answer.
3: Wow, 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 wow.
0: Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer.
2: Okay, 937. DeWine's team worked the, the, the list of committee members before the meeting and thought they had the votes, which is why the governor was there. The secret ballot was important because it allowed people to do what they truly wanted to do without fear of repercussion. That quote came from Shannon Burns, who was one of the uh, uh, Cuyahoga County Republican Party members, uh, committee members um, who helped run the meeting, gave an impassioned speech on Saturday morning in support of Jim Renacci. And against Mike DeWine. And Mike DeWine, wanting that endorsement from Ohio's second largest county Republican organization, went away with his tail between his legs. After a division of the room vote was taken, Renacy's endorsement was approved by 50 more than opposed, 123 to 73, which, according to Burns, is consistent with the polling. Mike DeWine has about 37% support based on polling we're pre- pre- performing and reviewing. Uh, DeWine's support is soft. Blystones is faltering. There's no doubt in this po- uh, at this point in my mind that Renacci has the wind at his back again, said Shannon Burns. Joining us now to talk about that uh, very, very important Saturday morning meeting among the Republican Party Cuyahoga County members is Brad Parscale, former campaign manager for President Trump and now current Renaissance campaign advisor. Brad Parscale, good to have you back on the air. How are you, sir? Hey,
6: Good to see you again. Good to talk to you again.
2: Good to talk to you, too. So, Brad, that's a big deal on uh, on Saturday morning. Did you did you expect uh, she, it to break out the way that it did?
6: Well, I think it went even better than we thought, but uh, I think it continues to match with what we see. Uh, we just got, just got out of the field... Um, so very large sample size doing our calling, 150,000-plus 100, answers that people asked in a survey, and uh, showed Jim in a, a good, steady lead. I mean, this, is, this isn't this a 500, or as Fox did, a 200-person sample of a state of 10 million people. This is hundred and some thousand people out of a, you know, most likely 900,000 to a million turnout, um, and Jim's got a, a healthy lead. Look, after two years of me just monitoring Ohio, I've never seen... Governor Dewine over forty points in support, never once, and I think that in his own party it just shows he 's the weakest Republican governor in the country
2: you know I, I, um, I had been hearing some of those simp- same numbers or similar numbers, um, Brad, um, but then I started to see some changes too, and i 'm not really quite sure what to believe that 's the difficulty of polling, as we all know it 's a snapshot yeah. in time it 's not an indication of the entirety of the of the race or the population but here 's what the Ohio press uh, network reported. The Emerson College poll released in late February showed De- De- DeWine leading with 34% of the vote. But then another poll conducted in March by Beacon Shaw Research showed DeWine with 50% of the vote among poll respondents. Uh, however, in that survey, only 28% of them said they have a strong favorability for DeWine. So I'm seeing numbers all over the place here. How do you guys plan, strategize for the campaign going forward when the numbers are so, uh, so all over the place?
6: Well, you got to remember, in 2016, the entire world said Donald Trump was going to lose, and and I was, I think, the only campaign advisor that that said he was going to win. It's it's a mixed model you have to look at. You can't just look at one sample of time or look at past, look at a 218-person survey and say, oh, this is it. It, A lot of politicians tend to see one pull and go. They want to attach to that because they care more about momentum than the truth. Um, It's pretty obvious in Ohio you have kind of a, a bubble top of, people who sit at the party level, who all talk to themselves, who all believe anecdotal information and spread it, and it becomes a little bit of the media. You just have a, this bubble which controls the media. You see that nationally, you can see that in the state. When you really start looking at the voter contact, let's look at what Jim Renese can do. He can, he can knock more doors, he can make more phone calls, he's going to make more direct contact. When you actually look at statistics, Jim wins two, to, two out of three times against any person who now learns he's a candidate against DeWine. The, the fact is, it's all about making as much voter contact as possible. DeWine almost has no campaign infrastructure. He's just hoping to, to just, you know, get by, get his $4 million back that he owes himself and move on to the general election. Uh, Blystone's a disaster candidate who is already, you know, has criminal activity here. Most likely, it'd be if he had even won, would be indicted on something. You know, campaign built on lies and far-right conspiracies that children are being kidnapped and sold to overseas countries and... You know anything that's on the internet, he believes. Um, you know, and I think that you know those conspiracy theories don't do anything for the party. Um, he even says that he doesn't. He's not a conservative. He's not a Republican. They're all not strong enough. He's, you know, it's 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 a joke of a campaign, and it's all just to raise money and to um, and to you know help his name. i be most like to get his restaurant full. Um, and and those kind of joke campaigns do nothing for this party.
2: Uh, we're talking with Brad Parscale. is a senior advisor for the Renacy campaign for governor, uh, uh, reacting to the uh, endorsement vote uh, held on Saturday by the Cuyahoga County Republican Party. Uh, Brad, I want to ask you a little bit more about Blystone uh, because he did something that I thought was admirable at the Beef Expo last Saturday when he confronted Mike DeWine and said, why won't you debate? It's a good question. Central State University was supposed to host a three-way debate between uh, DeWine, uh, uh, Jim Renacy and, and Joe Blystone, and, and uh DeWine wants nothing to do with that. What's your takeaway from that?
6: Well, first is blystone has been lying about the Tuesday Jim won't debate, and we would debate him in a heartbeat. The problem is there's not really a governor's debate without the governor. Um, however, if we were a town hall situation, the problem with Blystone is um, if he had a debate, he wouldn't try to have a debate. He would try to make it a spectacle. Um, and that's how he's tried to make his whole campaign. It's just been one stunt after another to try to get something done. We actually sit down and we talk policy uh, okay. The, the policies that Jim Inyce would have as governor of the state of Ohio would solve so many problems. It would, he would ban CRT. He would immediately protect the Second Amendment. Be the best pro-life candidate the states ever seen, and also start to fix a tax system which is causing our college kids to leave and businesses not to come. And I think if he sat next to Mike Dewine, Andrew Butch, and he would he would clean he would just clean house on him in policy. There's there's no one stronger. This is why Dewine can't sit with Jim. Um, and he has no chance because the state, everyone in Ohio would see Dewine is just a a, a rhino, a leftist. Um, the whole time I was campaign manager with with President Trump, I was I was there for the, for the majority, all but a couple months. And every time I invited Dewine to anything, he would come up excuse. One time we asked him to a rally, he got COVID, and then once the rally was over, he said he didn't have COVID any longer. He made every excuse to avoid President Trump. He hung out with Chris Cuomo and Governor Cuomo. He. He talks about liberal policies once he wins, and then he acts like he's a Republican for a few months, tricks everybody into it, and goes back to his leftist friends. He might as well just have tea party with all the with all the uh, the leftists. He's just he never once supported President Trump, and it was very unfortunate. And I one of the things I said, Jim, I said after this, after being campaign manager for the President Trump, I said I want to come to Ohio and take out this guy. This guy did nothing to help Trump win, and out of all the governors I had to work with, you know, in twelve key swing states to get President Trump elected. Nobody was worse
2: than DeWine. Brad Parscale is our guest, senior advisor to uh, Jim Renacy's campaign for governor. Um, I'm told that DeWine was booed lustily and heartily when he was introduced at the event on Saturday, and that the same type of reception was probably in store for him back in February when the ORP held their endorsement vote. Uh, That's why he didn't even show up for his own potential endorsement vote before the ORP, and of course, he got that vote anyway. What is your what is your understanding of the ORP and how they can vote to endorse uh, Mike DeWine? C- c- given all of the poll numbers that we're talking about, given the extraordinary destruction of our economy that was done uh, at his you know at his whim or at least his and Amy Acton's you know direction over the course of the the past two years, why do you think he was able to get that endorsement from the ORP?
6: Well, let's let's see here. He also got the three largest counties. Jim Renasey has, uh, Cuyahoga County, Claremont, and Butler. So you have to start looking at these in aggregate also. It, that's a clear sign to DeWine that he's got a problem with party when the three largest, you know, Republican counties all go for uh, Jim Renasey. And they clearly win. Uh, the only time Mike DeWine is one of the doors across the State is when, he's, when they have abused the system for the leadership only to vote because the leadership's afraid of ending their gravy train. So the fact is Mike DeWine passes out, you know, favors the people to continue, and um, if you look at some of the things with the list of lawyers that get all kinds of contracts from the government, all of his endorsements come with dollar signs behind them. These are people who make money off the establishment in Ohio, and Mike DeWine has been there for 50 years nearly, and he, he hands those things out like candy. That's that's his Halloween candy to everybody, and they just say, yes, yes, sir, um, and that's the only time he's won an endorsement. When the people come in, the people who are sick of this, you know, him having a school board, you know, a central school board for the state that has everybody that wants CRT, when he is literally defunded the police and, and, and turned away from the blue, and when he goes out and lies and says we have a great business economy, when this state is at the bottom of the bucket. If you look at Republican states, Ohio is a disaster. Florida, Tennessee, Texas does circles around Ohio, and I think this is a great, wonderful state. I have a home here, and I, I love it. And I think it's, it's sad what has happened to this state um, because it's one of the most beautiful states that has every potential to be great. Uh, but as long as it's full of corrupt people like Mike DeWine, and I think the Central Committee members see that. And now they're not scared of him anymore. They, they see Jim. They see Jim surging. They know Jim's got the resources to win. And when Jim gets there, things are going to be better. And I think you're going to see, once Jim Bernese is in office, a complete overhaul of the ORP. I think you'll see an overhaul of our t- tax system. And I think you'll start seeing our children wanting to stay here and, uh, and live in this wonderful state.
2: Yeah, your um, your thoughts on Ohio echo my own. I've said this a number of times on the air that Ohio is the worst Republican-run state in the country. It really, truly is. And that's the reason The reason why, to me, is because it's run by Republicans who govern like Democrats. And that's what Mike DeWine does. And sadly, I think that's what far too many of the supermajority of members of the Ohio General Assembly do as well. They're Republicans, but they don't govern nor vote like Republicans. And that, of course, is a huge problem. Brad, let me ask you this. Um, about the about the election and about when. Uh, how, how, do you, how does the campaign strategize here if it is going to be held on May 3rd or if it's going to be held in August? Does it change the way you prepare uh, from this point forward?
6: Yeah. Um, before that, I just want to say one, one thing. and I just want to get this out. If you are a Trump supporter, if you like anything with President Trump, look, I was employee number one with Trump. i still employed by Trump. I've been working for Trump for 13 years. There is nobody bigger that has supported the president than me. I ran. I started not only started and pretty pretty much built his sixteen campaign, his twenty campaign, his super PACs, his C fours. I pretty much built most of Trump world from a committee and campaign level. Um, I was partnered with the RT the whole time. And I'm going to tell you, if you're a Trump supporter and voting for Mike Dewine, you are completely voting against Donald Trump in 2024. Um, you, we need to get Dewine out before the 24 election. I just want to say that first because I just think um, it's sad how much. Uh, Dewine lies about that stuff, and you know, thirty percent of Trump supporters still support Mike Dewine. I just think uh, they need to see that and see clearly through that. Why um, do you think I,
2: that is, Brad? Uh, you, you know, the, you're you're you're, you're, a, you're a political analyst in addition to being a campaign manager and, in this case, a senior advisor. Why would thirty percent of of Trump supporters still support Mike Dewine?
6: Because they don't know. Um, unfortunately, what has happened is Mike Dewine has tried to walk the fence with Donald Trump enough. He's got two or three reporters from two big outlets that carry his water for him like I've never seen before, most likely because they get insider access from those around him and him, and it makes their job easier. So they're like, let's just keep this guy around. Um, They also like that he leans left when he actually gets in office, and that's probably the best they could get based off the state being so red. Um, But the fact is, when people actually learn that that, that Trump said that DeWine was a rhino, that, that Trump has pushed um, you know, tried to keep DeWine. Uh, the, the unfortunate part about if if I think if Mike DeWine was not in a swing state, President Trump would have probably just annihilated DeWine by Twitter. But unfortunately, the president knows the value of the state of Ohio for his own re-election, and he has to keep friends, because as you see, it's very easy for the governor to corrupt us. Look what he's doing now. Look what he did in the, in the primaries of 2020. The governor uh, is so corrupt, he can just move dates around do things. And right now, he's fighting to keep it early, because Blystone's. Is, is falling apart with with conspiracies and, and and investigations. I mean, he owes more money back, and that doesn't include the fines he'll receive. Most likely, he will end up paying hundreds of thousands of dollars out of his own pocket and fines. I mean, you're running for governor and you can't file one report correctly. I mean, this is not a good sign. I mean, if you can't even employ people to fill out a form that tells you how to do it um, and follow the rules and play fair, you're never going to make government. That's just as bad as DeWine. Blystone is just as bad because he's not playing by the rules either. Jim Renacci is the only one playing by the rules, following the election rules and following the rules that, that are there. We we haven't lied about anything. The so Blystone people lie that he's going to get a Trump endorsement. He's a Trump candidate. Trump doesn't even know who the guy is. So they lie. They have to lie. And Jim's the one playing by the rules. And look, this is what they're doing now. They're going to end up splitting this, this primary, end up costing every Ohioan $30 million extra, because he thinks it's better for him. It's never what's better for Ohio, it's what's better for Mike DeWine. And that's what's sad. This is why I'm here to try to get rid of this guy, because this guy looks at says me, 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 and never Ohio, Ohio, Ohio. And when I was with President Trump, he never said me about, when he sat in the Oval, he said, what's the best for the American people? Um, and unfortunately, uh, the press didn't like a president that did that. Um, they tend to like the me presidents and the me governors because it makes their job easier and they can get their liberal policies
7: through faster. <laughs>
2: Brad Parscale, senior advisor for Jim Renaci's campaign for governor, laying it out for you. I concur with just about every word. I want nothing to do with four more years of Mike DeWine, and I agree with you. If he's in office, when 2024 rolls around, Ohio cannot be certain that it is going to be in uh, the Republican nominee, whether it's Donald Trump or anybody else's hands, because this man has just been so disastrous for Republicans. Uh, Brad, really appreciate you coming on. Congratulations to you and the campaign, and obviously, most importantly, to Jim on the endorsement from the uh, Cuyahoga County Republican. Party. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. All right, have a good one. All right, that's Brad Parscale. Uh, Team Renese feeling really, really good about that right now. You heard what he said. He's got the wind at his back uh, because of three huge county endorsements, Republican Party county uh, endorsements. Um, And I hope it's it's true. I do. I want Mike DeWine out. If there was a better candidate for this than Jim Renese, I might talk about it. But there isn't. That's the reality of the situation. Joe Blystone's campaign is in turmoil. He's got uh, all kinds of investigations, and not just investigations, but orders to return over $100,000 in illegal campaign contributions. He's got 130,000 more that are in question because uh, they can't verify who made them. There's all kinds of terrible record-keeping, facing hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines, most likely. Uh, he's just uh, he's just so far out there, and he admits that he doesn't know what he's doing. He literally admitted So what do I know about running a campaign? I'm just a farmer. Well, then why do you want to run a state as large as Ohio when you don't know what you're doing? The best guy for the job should get the job. And uh, I want Mike DeWine out. That's what I want to have happen. 954, always right. AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 957, AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks to Brad Parscale, Team Renacci joining us. Talk about that, to run for governor. You know, I'd really love to hear from somebody who is a Mike DeWine supporter. I want to give you an open invitation. If you support Mike DeWine for re-election, if you're one of that 30% of Trump supporters who still supports DeWine, I'd like to hear... I just want to understand what you're thinking, what your process is. I will not make fun of you. I will not yell at you. I will not do anything except just try to listen and understand how anybody could be behind a man who has made the extraordinary decisions that he did in twenty twenty in year 2020, all of 2021, and even into 2022. How much damage he did to Ohio's economy, to businesses, to employees, uh, to you know, giving away millions and millions of your tax dollars and mine on these ridiculous lotteries to try to coerce people into getting the, the jabs. I mean, there's just so much damage. And will he sign a bill that is presented to him supporting medical freedom so that no one can ever, ever do this again? Shut down the state, decide who's essential and who isn't essential, and shut down the state until he sees fit or until a left-wing activist, director of health sees fit, forcing people to get jabs, forcing people to cover their faces with, with diapers that don't work? I mean... Medical freedom used to be a thing in this country. You used to be able to make up your own mind about what medications you took, about what steps you took to to preserve your health. It used to be up to you. Now it's up to the governor. Mike DeWine governed more like Andrew Cuomo and Gavin Newsom and Gretchen Whitmer than he did like Ron DeSantis or Kristi Noem or Greg Abbott or any other conservative red state governor. He governed like a leftist. So I'm curious, in that race, if there are any DeWine supporters within the sound of my voice, call me and tell me why. Please. We're going to talk about that coming up. We're going to talk about the other part of that endorsement day on Saturday. Mike Gibbons got the endorsement over uh, Josh Mandel and J.D. Vance. The other two are so far out there, I don't know that they even count in the uh, conversation. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Josh Mandel disappointing a lot of people uh, with a very, very desperate move. Uh, in trying to track down Mike Gibbons in the polls a very desperate move one that i told him face to face well, voice to voice on the radio last week that i thought was very very wrong and i hoped he would reconsider this tra- this tactic but he's not according to reports he's pouring about 750,000 campaign-, campaign dollars into a campaign to use military members veterans and gold star families to repeat lies Uh, in order to track down his opponent. It's disappointing. It's very, very frustrating because I like Josh so much, and I think he's so much better than what he's doing here. We're going to talk about that, too, coming up on AM 1420 The Ants. Hour number two underway now, eight minutes past 10 o'clock. Thanks so much for joining us on Always Right, thanks to Brad Parscale, last half hour. Is there any way to find common ground with a leftist, Marxist, America-hating demon rat? Is there? We're going to talk about that in a half an hour. You're going to be talking with somebody who's got an organization that is centered around, essentially, bringing people together. It's called Civic Genius a community-based initiative to bring together Americans from across the political spectrum to learn about, discuss, and tackle critical national issues together. The program comes to Cleveland on September, or excuse me, September, Saturday, uh, April 2nd. And we're going to talk to Jillian Youngblood, Executive Director of Civic Genius, at about 10.35. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. I have said number of times on this program, by the way, that I can't get along with that, with uh, with uh, leftists and Democrats. There's nothing about their worldview that brings me into some sort of commonality with them. There's nothing about their belief in butchering babies that I can come to to uh, in agreement with. There's nothing in their uh, in their belief system about destroying the nuclear family that I can say, "Hey, okay, let's talk about that." I can get with you on that. There's there's so many things. Telling little boys that they can be little girls. Telling little girls they can be little boys. Telling little boys and girls if they are light-skinned that you are oppressors and it is in your DNA. There's nothing you can do about it. You are disgusting, hateful bigots. And telling little darker-skinned children that you are going to be victims for the rest of your lives. You can do nothing to undo that because the lighter-skinned people are always going to hold you down. I can't get with them. I can't. But I'm going to give Jillian a chance to convince me that it's worth sitting down with these people to talk to them about uh, their ideologies and their belief systems. So that's coming up at 1035. Uh, by the way, this is the 28th morning of the third month of the year of our Lord, 2022, as I always like to remind you. And I want to get into a couple of things now. I talked about Biden and his gaffes in Poland and how they could cost lives, because he is essentially challenging Russia, uh, saying that we are in for regime change, and, and those were his words. He said, this man cannot be allowed to stay in power. That means you want him out of power. That's just the same language that was used when we went into Iraq in 2003 with the goal of removing Saddam Hussein. And if you don't think the Russians hear it that way, no matter how many White House corrections and clarifications are issued, then you're just not paying attention. Um, real quick on what happened in the, on the uh, stage last night in Hollywood. I said this in the open, and I'll say it again now. I didn't even know the Oscars were last night. I found out the Oscars were last night, last night when I started scrolling through news feeds to prepare for this morning's show. And the first thing that I saw, and I actually posted on Facebook about this, the first thing that I saw was that history, Troy Katsour and Ariana DeBose, and I admit to you, I have no earthly idea who either one of them are. But the headline on uh, on Fox News last night, one of the, um, no, take that back. This this came across NBC News. Sorry. The headline was, Troy Kotzer and Ariana DeBose make history at Oscars as Dune dominates with six wins. I didn't see Dune, and I don't know who these two people are. But they made history, so I figured I would look at the paragraphs underneath and see what, History was made. This is the history that was made. And I quote Ariana DeBose made history as the first Afro Latina, openly queer actor of color to win an Oscar. (laughs) Want me to read it again? All right. The first Afro-Latina. Now, I don't know what an Afro-Latina is. I don't know. Is Afro short for African? Because I don't think we can call African Americans in the United States Afro-Americans anymore. Isn't that a relic of like the 60s? Isn't that just one step removed from calling people colored, which of course is also banned now? I don't know, but this is what it says. Afro-Latina. I'm guessing just by the, the AFR that maybe it means kind of half African American or half African and half uh, Latina, you know, or Hispanic. I, I don't know what their little combo is there, but this is how ridiculous it has gotten. I mean, this takes what has just happened with Katanji Brown Jackson to a new level. Katanji Brown Jackson, historic choice because she's the first African American female. As if it matters a whit. Cause there have already been black people on the Supreme Court, and there have already been females on the Supreme Court. As a matter of fact, they're on there now. So why it matters that yeah, but 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 we haven't had one that's both before. We haven't had one that's 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 African American and female, you know, together, so this is like historic and stuff. Well, yeah. You know what, we've also never had a a paraplegic sitting on the court either. When we get one, are we going to comment on the historic nature of somebody who is physically unable to move below their neck? And then, if there happens to be one of those individuals with a, with a malady, a condition, a physical limitation, or whatever you want to call it, are we then going to say, yeah, but we haven't had a black one of those? We haven't, had a, we haven't had a black female one-armed person on the court yet, so this is historic. Everybody else has had two arms throughout history. Everybody else who's been on the court could walk throughout history. We need to, we need to change that. We've got to reflect what America looks like. Think about how silly that sounds. And now try to put it on steroids, and you have this. The first Afro-Latina... Openly queer. So they got to break those down piece by piece. So, first of all, if Afro means African, and I don't know if it does, or black slash Hispanic, is that what Afro Latina means? I don't know. Openly queer. So maybe there have been Afro Latina closeted queer actors to win, maybe, because they're saying she's historic. Why is she historic? Because she's openly queer. And by the way, I always thought that queer was considered a slur. You call someone queer. You are in trouble. Boys, meaning men, when you were boys, did you ever play the game in the schoolyard or in the, in the backyard called Smear the Queer? Used to be a game. It can't be a game anymore. Because now it, it means it is a slur for homosexuals. And, and you can't say that anymore. Yet it's in the the alphabet soup. The LGBTQ, I think, is the next letter after the T, is the Q for queer. And it's funny, uh, if you call someone queer, you are a homophobe and a bigot, but they can identify themselves as openly queer, and it's considered to be you know, something that's triumphant. Okay. So first, Afro-Latina, openly queer actor of color. So let's go back. Is this just redundancy, Afro, Latina, and person of color? Or is there another category there that we can mix in? And if so, again, is, is, is the next time that somebody is both Afro and Latina and queer, but male? Are they, Or maybe that's what queer means. Does queer mean you're not male nor female? I guess I don't know. Which is kind of the point, which is why I posted it. What is this soup all about? I posted this on my Facebook page. What do you mean historic? What is so bleeping historic? The fact that she has a combination of six different protected classes. The fact that she might be black and she might be Latina and she might be queer, whatever that means. And I legitimately do not know. Does that mean bisexual? I don't know. And of color, to win an Oscar, so this is something we have to celebrate more than you would celebrate any Oscar? Just have to Anyway, that's what came across my screen. And so I posted it last night to say, oh, the Oscars are tonight. Did you see this? Who gives a rat's red behind about this? And then somebody on my, on my comment section said, Bob, did you see the Will Smith thing? I said, what do you mean the Will Smith thing? No, I didn't see the Will Smith thing. What was the Will Smith thing? Well, apparently, this was the Will Smith thing. You know who's got the hardest job tonight? Javier Bardem
0: and his wife are both nominated. Now, if she loses, he can't win! <laughs> he is praying that Will Smith wins. like, please, Lord! Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane, too. Can't wait to see it, all right? <laughs> It's, that, was a, that was a nice one, okay.
7: I'm out here,
0: uh-oh, Richard. <laughs> oh, wow, wow.
7: Will Smith just smacked the out of me. Keep my name out your mouth. Wow, dude. Yes. It was a GI Jane jump. Keep my wife's I'm going to, okay? <laughs> so I can, Oh, okay.
0: That was a uh, greatest night in the history of television. Okay.
2: Okay. So it was the slap heard round Hollywood. And my instantaneous reaction was, what in the living age is wrong with that guy? What is wrong with that guy? talking about will smith he is sitting in an audience listening to a comedian be a comedian comedians make jokes more specifically comedians make fun of the people in the front row at their comedy shows moreover comedians at the oscars and golden globes like ricky gervais have torched people in the room before it's called comedy And it's not to be taken personally. And Will Smith took it so personally, he went up and literally assaulted on live television in front of, well, I don't even know. Did they get a million viewers? Because nobody watches the Oscars anymore. But he did this in front of a full uh, auditorium of people there in Los Angeles. And it was on TV, as limited as it may have been. And he just assaulted somebody for words. And the battle this morning on social media and in talk radio is, who's right? Was Will Smith right to go up there and defend his wife? Because Jada Pinkett Smith, for those who don't know the joke, uh, has shaved her head completely bald because she has alopecia, which is a condition that causes women's hair to fall out. Or persons, I think men can get it too, right? But it causes the hair to fall out in clumps. And she's been very public about it. And so she has decided to essentially shave her head completely. So Chris Rock's joke was, uh, looks like G.I. Jane. G.I. G. Jane was the movie in which, um, um, uh, for crying out loud, what's her name? Um, Why well, can't I cannot remember her name? She's used to be like a, one of the A-list uh, uh, actresses um, in uh, in Hollywood. But anyway, and I'm and I'm blanking for some reason about her name. But, uh, G.I. Jane, uh, was about a female Navy SEAL who, of course, had to go into the, into the. Demi Moore, thank you. I don't know why Demi Moore's name escaped me. She's obviously very well known. But Demi Moore had her head shaved for going into the Navy SEALs in the movie G.I. Jane. So his joke was, she has a shaved head. I can't wait to see G.I. Jane 2 come out. It's, is it personal? Yeah. Is it funny? Moderately. Is it insulting and cruel? I don't think even in a, in, in a, in, in any small amount. I think Will Smith just committed assault because he felt. And by the way, there were camera views of him laughing as Chris Rock made the joke. Then he looked over at his wife and saw that she wasn't laughing. And in order to say face with his wife, he had to go up there and man his way back into her heart by assaulting a guy who told a joke. And this is what I despise, one of the billion things I despise and revile about Hollywood. The fact that these snowflakes are so thin-skinned that they can't take even a little gentle joke about themselves and yet they destroy publicly with words every conservative that has ever crossed their path the things they have said about melania trump for example oh my goodness the things they have said about donald trump and any any hollywood conservatives that are that dare to come out of the ideological closet and, and profess them their conservatism forget about it they have no problem destroying conservative minded people but somebody even one of their own takes a shot at them and we're gonna throw hands that's exactly what he did and then of course he had to attempt to justify that after when he was named the winner of the best uh, best actor Oscar
7: Now, know to do what we do You got to be able to take abuse. You got to be able to have people talk crazy about you. In this business, you got to be able to have people disrespecting you. And you got to smile and you got to pretend like that's okay. I want to apologize to the Academy. I want to apologize to all my fellow nominees. This is a beautiful moment, and I'm not. I'm not. I'm not crying for winning an award. It's not. It's not about winning an award for me. It's about being able to shine light on all of the people. Tim, and and Trevor, and Zach and Sanaya and Demi and Anjanu and the entire cast and crew of King Richard and Venus and Serena, the, the entire Williams family.
2: All right, I've heard enough of this garbage. Uh, he went on to apologize to everybody except for the guy he punched or slapped. Because I'm a man and I'm standing up for my family and, and, and love makes you do crazy things. Can I fast forward to that I'm part? taking
7: up too much time. Uh, yeah, you are. Thank you for this Honor, thank you for this moment. I thank you on, on behalf it? of Richard and and Orson, the entire world. You already
2: did that part already. All right, enough of this guy, enough of this clown. Bottom line here is an assault was committed because somebody spoke words that, that he didn't like. And I just immediately, my, my second thought after the shock of it all was to say, this is the problem with the left in America today. This is how they treat people who engage in speech with which they disagree. They literally want to take them out. And whether it is with their own words and cancel culture or it's physical assault, this is the death of free speech in America. Chris Rock told a joke about a bald woman looking like she's going to go out for a part of a bald woman in in a new movie, in the remake of G.I. Jane. And he was assaulted in the process. And right now the debate, which should be no debate, is over is whether or not Chris Rock was, was in the right and by the way, Chris Rock was a true pro. After he got punched in the face or slapped in the face, he continued to go through the presentation of the award that he was out there to present. He kept his composure, he kept his poise. The only one who didn't in that room was Will Smith. Will Smith went from being, you know, the fresh prince of Bel Air to thug life in about two point two seconds. That was a thug move. It was a gutless move. It was a cowardly move. If you wanted to be a man and you wanted to make your point, you could have stood up with your wife and walked out while he was giving the rest of his introduction of that award. You could have done so many things to make your point. Instead, you committed an assault. So... I don't know what the debate is, but there shouldn't be one. Chris Rock told a joke, which is what comedians do. And if you are allowed to slap somebody for making as as innocuous and as genteel of a joke as that was, then for crying out loud, Ricky Gervais, the next time he takes a stage, is going to be shot. Is going to be physically murdered. Because what he has done is a billion times more offensive than what Chris Rock just did. All right, you want to sound off on it, go to my webpage. I want to see, I want to hear from you at uh, alwaysright.us. Click the sound off button. Tell me whether or not you think Chris Wright, uh, Chris Rock was wrong, Will Smith was wrong, whether they're both wrong. What are your thoughts on it? Sound off at alwaysright.us, and I'll be right back. Let's get a phone call now from Tim in Cleveland. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Tim, go right ahead.
5: Hey, good morning, Bob. Uh, first, I do want to say that uh, Saturday was awesome. It was good to see the people actually stand up and uh, give a voice to what they believe and what they want. I Amen was there. to that. It was excellent. Um, the other thing I want to say is, you know, with, uh, I was listening regarding the Will Smith thing. Um, you know, the way he handled it, going up and smacking Chris Rock, obviously inappropriate. It is good to see the left eat their own. But, um, you know, a lot of people, she has some kind of disease, alopecia or something like that, or hair falls out. Yeah. And when he said that, you could see she was upset, and he looked over, and he was laughing. He looked over his wife, and I think he saw that. I got to say, I got to give it to the guy for standing up for his wife. I get it. It's a joke. It's, you know, the Oscars or whatever, which I don't watch. But... I give, it, I give him a little bit of credit for standing up for his wife, and I wonder if it's because of the movie he just did, where he was standing up, you know, for Serena Williams, and he played Serena Williams and the, the Venus uh, Williams father. Um, yeah. I wonder if that had a little bit to do with. I wonder if it was also a setup. I gotta wonder. I don't know. Just a thought. But um you know I I, I doubt
2: quick. I doubt that because of the screaming of the f-word uh on live television you know of course that had to be but I doubt that that would have been set up that way when he was screaming keep my wife's name out your blanking mouth yeah. uh, but here's the thing I I understand your point and I said this earlier too <clears throat> About standing up for your wife, and I understand that, but there was a way to do that that could have been standing up and walking down the aisle and leaving, or at least waiting until he leaves the stage before you come back. Everybody would have said, Where's he going? Where's he going? And they would have said, Oh my God, they were really upset about what he said about Jada, and he would have been hailed as a stand up guy. But instead, he yeah. went up there and turned thug life and, and, and slaps the guy, which again is, is you know, wor- the, the leftist mantra is that words are violence. That's why they come after Trump and they come after so many conservatives when they say that words equal violence. Will Smith just went out there and said, yeah, words are violence and I'm responding to it with violence. And it's wrong. It's just, it's it's not, it's not the right thing to do. If he he could have stood up for his wife, thanks for the call, he could have stood up for his wife without turning into a a felon. And he committed an assault. And I think that's a felonious act. He committed, or maybe it's not, maybe it's a misdemeanor depending on California law. But that was an assault that essentially said, yeah, we believe words are violence, and this is how you get to respond to it. And that, to me, is very, very wrong. And, quite frankly, a little bit dangerous, too. Time out. Bottom of the hour news. Back after this on Always Right.
0: When the world is upside down and the majority turns to the left... Turn to the right, always right, with Bob France on AM 1420,
2: The Answer. 10.37, we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Going to be with you until just shy of noon. Appreciate you being with us on Always Right. All right. I want to have really, really high hopes for this. I do. I just don't know if I do. How is somebody going to make it happen? How do you bring together... In this polarized political society, how do you bring together people from all over the political spectrum together to discuss very important national issues uh, in a civic manner? Well, that's the goal of Civic Genius. Civic Genius is a nonpartisan organization working to overcome political polarization. Um... This is a community-based initiative that brings together Americans from across the political and ideological spectrum to learn about, discuss, and tackle critical national issues together. Usually when that happens, well, fights break out. <laughs> I kind, of, kind of like the one that was on the Oscar stage last night. Let's hope it doesn't happen in Cleveland when this uh, event comes uh, to Cleveland on April 2nd. Joining us now to tell us all about this organization and what this event is and how it can work is the executive director of Civic Genius, Jillian Youngblood. Jillian, thanks so much for your time this morning. How are you?
8: I'm great. Thanks so much for having me.
2: This is, um, this is an, an initiative that um, you know, I think a lot of people have probably pondered and thought about and say, how can we bring people together when there is such a – passion and a high level of emotion involved with so many of the issues that we face today how can we bring them together to solve problems uh you know in a unified manner as opposed to yelling at one another from our various points on the on the scale you're doing it you're bringing people together tell me how this whole idea was born
8: yeah. So, you know, our our work is founded on a belief that I think really doesn't come through in our politics or on cable news or on social media or, you know, through Hollywood. Sounds like we all saw the Oscars last night uh, where things, things really blew up. But we're founded on the belief that people across the political spectrum actually agree on a lot when they have an opportunity to talk to each other in a low stakes setting where they really have a chance to get to know one another. Um, you know, we talk about, like, Twitter is not real life. Hollywood is not real life. I think we all kind of in- intuitively know that this is true. But increasingly, we don't have an opportunity to really be together in any authentic way. Um, there, there's some pretty wild statistics out there on polarization. So people talk about, I think, in the 1960s, something like 4 or 5% of, um, of people said they would be upset if their son or daughter married someone from the opposite party. So basically no one said that in the 60s. Today, it's closer to a quarter to a third of people will say that. We are self-sorting geographically into different places. So people talk about increasingly moving to other geographic areas where they think people will share their politics. And that means we're not even running into each other, you know, at church or at the grocery store or at a place where you could actually – meet someone and know them as a real person instead of by a couple of hashtags that they have online. So that's what we really want to break through with this, in, with this event. Um, it's an all-day citizen problem-solving event where, as you said, people from across the political spectrum come together and they learn about an issue, they discuss it, and then they figure out really critically how they're going to tackle it. So we're, we're not interested in people just coming together to talk, although that's a really important first step. But we think when people work together to solve a problem, that's where the real magic can happen. I don't know if you've ever done something like a community service project or Habitat for Humanity where you're like, whoa, we you know, we painted this thing. We painted this school, We built a house. We can show what we can do when we actually work together, and that's what we want to evoke at this event.
2: You know, um, the interesting thing is when you do a project like that with Habitat for Humanity or something else like that, Everybody can come together from various, you know, political points of view and do this project because they both believe in it as long as they don't talk politics with one another. Because <laughs> if, they start, if they're standing next to somebody building or, or repairing or scraping or painting or whatever. And then that comes up, and suddenly uh, the lid is blown off. This is the reality of it. It's even true in families. You know, you mentioned marrying somebody from the opposite party. Families are broken up, not just marriages, uh, mothers and, and fathers from their children, uh, siblings uh, who have different points of view, who have, have just stopped seeing one another. They don't come together at holidays anymore. Um, it, it has gotten that bad. So that's the challenge you have here. It's not just coming together for a different cause that different people believe in, but it's to specifically address the causes that they disagree about. That's got to be the real challenge you guys face at these events, right?
8: Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I see this in my own family. I have a politically mixed family, and it gets a little rough around Thanksgiving. I won't lie. Um, But the thing that I know from growing up in that kind of family, and you know, I grew up in a conservative uh, place in Georgia. I worked in New York City for most of my career and in Washington, D.C. for a while And existing in those different worlds has made me absolutely positive that all of those places are full of great people who care about the world and love this country, and they just have really different experiences that shape those worldviews, and those experiences are valid. So, you know, every time I see my dad, we spend, like, 20 minutes yelling at each other. We both love to talk politics. (laughs) So we have to go through this phase where we kind of yell and scream, and my sister leaves the room because she's smarter than everybody, and... Once we get through it, we realize we agree on, I don't know, 70% of whatever we're talking about. We just had to get, we had to get to a place where we trust each other's motives and where, you know, I don't think he's stupid and he, and it's my dad, so I don't. And, you know, he doesn't think that I'm trying to ruin the country. Like you have to find, you have to sort of go through that sometimes. It feels like to get to where the common ground is. And what we do at these events, is we've created a process where people can get to that common ground without going through the screening. So we have folks in small groups for most of the day. They weigh the trade offs of different policy approaches. Um, they talk about their shared values. So we're talking at this information about online misinformation, I'm sorry, at this event about online misinformation and free speech. So people over the course of the day will talk about what that actually means to them. Like, have they experienced some kind of real-life harm because of misinformation? Um, what does that mean to them in the context of free speech? Like, what should the balance be as we try to look at those two issues? And over the course of the day, people find some level of consensus. And we've done different events on a bunch of different topics, on uh, immigration, on Social Security, on government reform, campaign finance reform, and certainly we don't get 100% of people saying we all agree, on you know, Congress should do this and we all agree, but we get majorities of people who would consider themselves Republicans, consider themselves Democrats, everyone in between, who can agree on a couple of things. And I would say if Congress could get together and agree as much as a room full of average normal Americans can agree, we could probably get some things done. (laughs)
2: Boy, um, we've got a problem here. <laughs> we've got a we've got a problem here because um, of some of the things that you that you just said. Uh, that I can I can all if I were to participate in one of these events, I just I cannot see it going well because, for example, you so you're saying the Cleveland event that's coming up on April second is going to be focused on online misin- misinformation and free speech, correct? Yes, that's right. Okay, so so in other places you've had different. So, was there a particular reason this one landed on that and not on a different issue? Do you normally like pick one issue in a city to have an event with Civic Genius, Jillian? That um, you know it's random in in nature, or is there a particular reason why this one is the focus right now?
5: Yeah, this one is the focus
8: actually for 2022. So we're going to be going to eight cities across the country this year, uh, oh, and we're going to be talking it. about this topic exclusively. And you know the reason why is that. This issue is the foundation, I think, of a lot of the toxic disagreements that we're having on every other issue. So Americans don't even agree on what the truth is. We don't agree who's an expert. We don't agree how you know or decide who's an expert. And, like, can you blame us? Look at our information ecosystem. Like, look at cable news. Look at social media. We live in totally different information worlds that are driven by algorithms that we don't know very much about. And, you know, the crazy thing is that in addition to not agreeing what's true, we don't even know what other people are seeing. So you meet someone who thinks differently than you. You have no idea what kind of information they've even been consuming. So I think if we can tackle this one, we'd have a good foundation.
2: You know, I say this is why I said there's a problem here, because, you know, I'm going to approach this from from my point of view. Everybody knows what one side is saying because that side is not censored as misinformation. Because only one side controls the flow of that information, the Silicon Valley side, the tech platform side, the side that is 99% far left. Every owner, every worker, every algorithm writer, every fact checker at, at Google, at Facebook, at Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, they're all very, very far left, one-sided ideologically, and they allow anything that their doctors say to go forth. It's when somebody who is a doctor or who who maybe used to be considered an expert until they dared cross the left, comes out with a differing set of opinions, and then they say, ah, we disagree with that, that's misinformation, and they cancel it. And they ban it. So how do I get together with a group of strangers at Civic Genius event in Cleveland on April 2nd and discuss and debate what the facts are when nobody has seen the other side because it gets canceled? And this, of course, goes right into the realm of free speech that you're, that you're talking about. I, if I can't hear Dr. Fauci followed by Dr. Malone, if i can't hear dr uh, uh francis collins of the nih followed by um uh dr uh, um uh I'm trying to remember his name now because I'm, I'm blanking here from Stanford, who was one of the authors of the Great Barrington. Baticaria. Uh, uh, if I can't hear him after, and then say, "Okay, this is what your science is saying. This is what your science is saying." Now let's kind of compare those. If I can't hear both sides, what's to discuss? Because Doctor Batacaria gets canceled. His information gets canceled. Somebody who posts it. Somebody who po- I posted Doctor Malone a two-minute speech that he made in front of uh, in Washington D.C. to a group on medical freedom. And for posting it on Facebook, my account was suspended for 30 days. So my question, Jillian, is how can you discuss both sides of an issue, particularly when it comes to free speech, when only one side is allowed to express that speech for people to consume?
8: Yeah, I think this is the question of the century. You're you're absolutely right. So, you know, I've been talking to people from across the political spectrum on this topic for a while. Both people who who study it. If I talk to First Amendment lawyers. I talk to a lot of regular people who just encounter this stuff in real life. And you know, I hear from people on the left who are intensely worried about misin- what they would say is misinformation on things like COVID or on election security. And they think social media companies should take everything down. Not everyone. This is, but I do talk to a lot of people who say that. Um, And in fact, will say that Congress should require tech companies to do way more content moderation. And then I hear from people on the right who say exactly what you just said—that conservatives are being censored on social media. And many will say Congress needs to stop tech companies from doing so much content moderation. They call it, you know, moderation, but it's actually censorship. So I hear from a lot of people. So, I I mean, that's a really, really common thing that we hear. And then the question I always ask when I'm having these conversations is, okay, but do you want the government making those decisions? And sometimes people say, yeah, there's a crisis of free speech here or there's a crisis of misinformation and the government needs to step in. But more often people will say, oh, it's actually pretty complicated. I wonder what the right balance here is. And I think you're well, right. The, the, the right, the right
2: balance has got to be, in, in, in any one of these sessions that you run, the right balance has got to be complete and 100% unfettered free speech. We have to be able to present what we believe to be right, or maybe just something that we're not even sure. I'm not sure if this is correct or not. Let me see what other people think and have it posted without being declared by some um, you know, arbitrary Silicon Valley employee saying, and and by the way, Mark Zuckerberg was forced to admit before a uh, congressional committee that these are opinion checkers, not fact checkers, because they are giving their opinions on what they think is misinformation and what isn't. And so they're deciding what I see and what somebody else sees. And if I ask a question, what about this? And they don't even like the question being asked because they're really concerned about what the answers might be. They, they strike it and they, they flag it and they take it down. So there is no balance, Jillian. There is no balance other than 100% unfettered free speech and let the people consume all of the information and make their own decisions. Isn't that what a free republic is supposed to do? Yes.
8: And so my question would be, how do you make them do it? So there are a couple of big tech platforms that probably we all are using, or maybe maybe some of us have left those. And it's true, you've got a handful of tech executives and their employees making these decisions for you. So the question is, do we? how do we solve it? Do we need more competition in the space? Like, do we need more social media platforms that moderate things differently, that will let all speech stay up? And can we vote with our feet and go to those platforms? Do you want Congress to say, hey, tech companies, you have to do this as it relates to speech i know i get uncomfortable when i start thinking about the government regulating speech so i think these are some of the issues that we want to get into and it's really critical that we have everyone from every part of the ideological spectrum talking about this together so you don't have one side dominating what those
2: solutions look like yeah. i think it's a noble uh, uh you know ambition i really do um i just i, I it just it doesn't it doesn't really resonate with me because i know what's already going on to get a bunch of people from quote unquote both sides to see if we can come to an agreement on here um is, is just so very difficult to process when one side is already having their say every single day and it's the other side that has to fight through all of those walls to even get something to be allowed to be put up and as you pointed out can is is the answer to create more competition they tried that Parlor was destroyed by the leftist leaders in in the the, uh, the big tech world. Apple and Google deplatformed them and said, "Nope, not making Parlor available on our web store anymore." or um, Excuse me, on our app stores anymore because conservatives are going over there and having free speech unfettered. We can't allow that, so they literally deplatformed them. And so that's what I mean. You know, if you think. If anybody at Civic Genius thinks that the left is going to come together and 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 compromise and in some way, shape, or form say, yeah, we do need to give these other people a voice and let their opinions be heard anymore, I just think it's delusional. I I, I want it to work. It's noble. It's aspirational. But I think it's also impossible because they have made it their mission to silence those with whom they disagree. And, and there's nothing that anybody on the right can do about it. That's what I have found. Uh, and, 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 you know, God love you if you prove me wrong and you guys get together and have a wonderful <laughs> event and people come out of it and saying, we're united. Uh, and we can get some things done together here. If you can do that, I mean, it would be a miracle of God. So God will have definitely, definitely blessed it. Uh, so, and I ha-
8: I, You know, I think, I think we have no choice. Like, what what else are we going to do at this point? Look at how Lit this country is. Where are we headed if we can't find some way to talk to each other, agree that we're going to listen, have some... You, know, I always say we have three ground rules at these events. You participate with respect and curiosity. I don't know when the last time is. I've been to a civic event that felt that way. Look for common ground with others who think differently than you. And don't be a jerk. Politics makes us jerks. And I understand all the forces that you're talking about. Yeah. And I think there's a difference between... You know, people who are in charge, who are running the show, and then people like us who don't go through their lives feeling like we want to get in a fight every time we walk out of the door. No, um, no, no,
2: <laughs> and, and, and I, we don't want that. We really don't. I mean, I mean, but I mean, I mean, just, just one last thought. Just look at what we're dealing with here. The the Twitter executives decided that Donald Trump's words at his speech before the January 6th incident at the Capitol were so, so terrible, so, so uh, insightful of violence that he had to have his Twitter account revoked, right? They revoked his Twitter account for, for, in their eyes, inciting violence. The same platform, Jillian, allows Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, who has invaded a foreign country and killed thousands and thousands of innocent people, he still has an account on Twitter. Now you tell me hmm? how we come to some. Co- yeah, it's true. Look it up. Look up President of Russia's account on Twitter. Twitter's, uh, excuse me, uh, Russia's bloodthirsty, killing, you know, of the innocent. Uh, Premier uh, Vladimir Putin has an account. Donald Trump does not. You tell me how we come to, to come together in a meeting and find a way to resolve that. Uh, that's, that's. I think
8: just... if you said that. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I think if you said that. To a lot of people on the left, they would find it shocking and problematic, to be honest. Um, I think there's so little transparency in how tech companies make these decisions. Like, we don't know what the algorithms do. There's not public; They're not public. There's a bill in Congress that would make them public so we could at least see, yeah. you know, how our news feeds are being manipulated. Um, but you're right. We have no idea what's behind the curtain. And I think that people across the political spectrum think that's a problem.
2: I think you think the, the, the left would be shocked if they learned that. I think the left would look at me and say, cancel him. How dare you let him tell us that? We shouldn't know that, and nobody should know that that hypocrisy exists. Twitter is wonderful. All praise Silicon Valley. That's what I think they would say. Jillian Youngblood, Executive Director of Civic Genius. How can anybody who wants to do what you're doing be a part of this real quick? Yeah. Is it open to the to public? So you have to register? Or how does that work? Yeah.
8: Yeah, open to the public. So go to ourcivicgenius.org. Um, And under events, you'll see the Cleveland event on April 2nd. Um, Register as soon as you can. I want to make sure we save space um, for folks listening to the show who want to come. And we'd love to have you. I've been, I will just say, I've been to 90 billion different civic events, and I know this stuff can get a little dry. This one will be genuinely fun. It's not a seminar. It's a community event. You can come where you are, have some great food, have some thought-provoking conversations, um, and come up with uh, some ideas for solving this tough issue. Uh, so, yeah, you can register at OurCivicGenius.org.
2: Jillian, I've never met you, but I can tell you that you're a wonderful person, and you're a better person than I am, and the reason why is you're willing to try. You're, you're seeing a need for something and saying, we're going to give it a shot because of what else we can do, and I know I'm being very cynical with this. So that makes you uh, you know, a much more admirable person than I am, and I really wish you the very best of luck at this event and at all the events you have around the country. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. All right. 1058, we'll be back after the news on AM 1420 The Answer. Hour number three on the way now, seven minutes past 11 o'clock on AM 1420, The Answer. What'd you think? About the idea, the civic genius idea of bringing people on the right and people on the left together to have a discussion in a big room of 150, 200 people, supposed to be civically oriented, peaceful productive about the issues that uh, our country faces today specifically in this case she said this year the 2022 um, theme is the issue of misinformation and free speech i I hope i wasn't too hard on jillian because um the reality is the title itself triggered me let's be honest the title itself triggered me misinformation and free speech how about the allegations of misinformation how about what is misinformation nope misinformation it kind of basically affirms that it exists and that it's online and how do we balance it with free speech she even said during part of the conversation there we have to find a way to find a balance does congress get to limit what's said online do the big tech people get to do it how do we do it do we want the government to make that decision What balance? What balance? As I said to her, there's, you can't balance. There's either free speech or there's not free speech. It's just that simple. If you're a believer in free speech, then you simply say you can't have your little gauge-wearing, face-tattooed, nose-ringed, Silicon Valley Berkeley grads Deciding what's information and what's misinformation. If you believe in free speech, then Dr. Malone gets to post whatever the living H he wants. And I get to share Dr. Malone's videos, or Dr. Bhattacharya's, or any of the other uh, frontline doctors who have been out there saying this is wrong, this is a dangerous situation with these uh, profit jabs being put out there by under under emergency authorization, where the drug makers are completely protected from prosecution. They cannot be sued. They have immunity from prosecution, despite providing non-immunity in their little jabs. I ought to be able to post as much of that as I want to because, Nobody's going to tell me it's misinformation when it's coming from doctors every bit as reputable as the doctors who are in uh, you know press conferences with, with Joe Biden and telling you, I am science. I'm science. Anybody who's
0: looking at this carefully realizes that there's a distinct anti-science flavor to this. So if they get up and criticize science, nobody's going to know what they're talking about. <laughs> but if they get up and really aim their bullets at Tony Fauci, well, people could recognize there's a person there. So it's easy to criticize. But they're really criticizing science because I represent science. That's
2: dangerous. Senator Cruz- if you represented science, Dr. Fauci, then you wouldn't be afraid to have your science challenged by other scientists. That's the That's the bottom line here. And, and there's nobody in this cult of COVID that is going to go into a meeting in, in Cleveland or anywhere else and sit down with a bunch of people who uh, believe and, and have evidence of the damage that has been done the thousands of, uh, and thousands and thousands of people who have suffered mild to severe side effects from jabs that are mandated by the federal government. They're not going to want to listen to us. They shut us down online. They're not going to listen to us in a room either. How is this going to help? I'm just, like I said, I'm, I'm hopeful. I think it's very ambitious. I think it's very admirable, as I told her, but. And I've, I've said this before, too, and I'll say it again now. I have reached a point where I have listened to the left incessantly condemning and criticizing our Constitution. Incessantly. That means without cease. That means forever, ongoing, criticizing um, the founding of our country. They have incessantly condemned and criticized that which has made this country the greatest force for, for good in the history of humankind. I have listened to the left incessantly condemning this country as being historically and systemically racist. I have listened to them incessantly argue for the slaughter of millions and millions of babies as being just a health procedure between a woman and her doctor. I've listened to them incessantly argue that this nation doesn't deserve to be a nation with borders. It should be open for people to come and go as they please, no matter how much damage is done to the country and to the people within it. I have listened incessantly to the left tell us that little children who are born with lighter colored skin, are by their very existence racist bigots. I have listened incessantly to them tell us that little children who are born with darker skin are forever going to be the underclass and forever going to be victimized by those oppressors. I have listened to the left tell me that I'm wrong if I don't believe that we should support and encourage a seven-year-old boy taking puberty blockers because somebody has convinced him he's a seven-year-old girl. And I have listened to this long enough to know that I'm not going into a room and wanting to kumbaya with these people, hug these people, come to some common ground with these people, I can't come to common ground with evil. I can't come to common ground with people who are trying to destroy big picture our country in order to fundamentally transform it into some globalist society free of the Constitution. That's big picture, and I cannot come to common ground with people smaller picture, micro-level individuals who believe in all those things that I just said, that my children can be something that some adult can convince them they are and that they should physically alter themselves to make that happen. Because somebody saw my son playing with a doll for 10 minutes, instantly get in his ear and tell him how feminine he is and how he really needs to embrace that and become the girl that he knows he truly is. Because that happens. I'm not going to come to common ground with that. I'm not going to come to common ground with somebody who tells me that a baby can be delivered during an abortive procedure at full term and survive the abortion and tell me that, well, we'll lay that baby off to the side and the mother and the doctor can have a conversation as to whether or not they should uh, uh, save its life or let it bleed out there and let it die. Because that's what they want. I'm not going to come to common ground. I'm not going to be civil or civic with these people. I'm going to shake my head at disgust and revulsion and hope that someday God can touch them and their warped, disgusting, demented, evil, heartless, cruel minds and turn them around to being... Decent human beings, but I'm not going to be the one to change it. What do you think of that event? Do you think it can help? Do you think it'll happen? Do you want to sit down with these people? Do you want to get into conversations with people who believe those things and think that they're going to listen to you? They will cancel you as fast as you can spell your last name. They will just... Not a shot. They don't want you to be heard online They don't want you to be heard in public forums. They don't want you to be heard in private forums either. They want you to stop with your misinformation. Telling you. There's there's a point in which you cross the Rubicon, as they say. And I think it's been crossed. And I don't think there's unity ever that's going to happen again. It's going to be a mad fight for power. There's going to be a power... That fights to restore this country to constitutional principles upon which it was founded, freedom and equality for all, and that that power is going to be used when Republicans are in control. And then there's going to be power that wishes to crush all of that liberty, where equality is not the goal, equity is, where color blindness isn't the goal, but color uh, orientation is the goal, deciding who can go where based on their color, racial segregation. Racial arson is the norm, and and so forth. Um, I'm sorry. I, I'm not going to come to common ground with people who believe that there shouldn't be police officers, that there should be social workers out there, and that we're supposed to be safer because of it. It's just never going to happen for me. I welcome your thoughts at 216 And as I said, sound off for me on the uh, alwayswrite.us page, always us. Give me your thoughts there, and you don't have to wait on hold uh, to have them played on the radio. Let me go to uh, Dan, who's calling us from Westlake. Hello, Dan. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go right ahead, sir.
9: Hey, Bob. This is uh, Dan Messina.
2: Um, oh, hey, Dan Messina. Hi. How are you?
9: Hey, I'm uh, doing good. <laughs> uh, I wanted to... Talk to you about, well, I'm I'm the red co-chair for the Northeast Ohio Braver Angels Alliance. We have an alliance. There's about 100 people we have in our alliance, biggest alliance nationally. Now, uh, Braver Angels is a national organization looking to do similar things like uh, what the Civic Genius is trying to do, um, basically trying to bridge the, the political divide. But uh, the problem we have in Braver Angels is we're outnumbered four to one. For every one red, there's four blues, <laughs> um, and that's and that is that is the good. We're supposed stationary.
2: to come to some. Other, there's
9: other alliances that have, have, have bigger disparities, but I think you have to engage the left. You have to engage them. I'm not going to say come come to the middle and let's all compromise. That's not what it's about. It's about letting your voice be heard, and it's going to be heard, especially for us on the right who can engage with the other side without them giving them the, the satisfaction of calling us a racist, sexist, bigoted, homophobe, taking the moral high ground and walking away, and then brag, have bragging rights that say, hey, they, they, they fought the left today, or I mean, they fought the right today, they fought fascism, and won. Um, they, you, can't, you can't get away with that, with, with the kind of events we've been having at Braver Angels. And I'm going to go to that civic genius event uh, this Saturday. And we need conservatives coming up to fill the breaches of the culture war. We have to engage them. Because if we don't, and you're going to find there's going to be a lot more commonality than, you're going to, than, than you would ever expect. Are there leftists that believe in all the things that you were talking about? All of these things about taking away free speech and all this equity stuff and all this diversity, inclusion, and equity, yes, there's, you're going to run into some of those. But there's also many that do like the Constitution. There are many that actually are getting misinformed from the left. You have liberals. I've counted a lot, a lot more liberals who are looking to bridge the divide and also a lot of independents, too, who kind of left both parties. They don't like either one. But we don't get heard. This is a chance for us to get heard.
2: Here's, um, yeah, here's my. Here's, so hold, on, hold okay? on, Dan. Hey, Dan, hold on. Okay. Um. Here's and first yeah. of all, thank you for that great information. And I would say the same thing to you that I said to Jillian. Uh, yeah, it is admirable. It is ambitious. And it is uh, it is certainly something worth pursuing. Um. I'm not that guy to pursue it because I I told you how I feel about it. But uh, I I certainly understand your point. Um. The thing to me is if there are people who are on the quote unquote left who get it and who feel the way that you're talking about. They're the ones who need to speak up to the members of their own party slash ideology, because they have a shot at least of reaching somebody, somebody who is an identified conservative or an identified right leaning individual or just a Republican, even if they're rhino Republican, has no shot at getting anywhere. They're going to get silenced. They're going to get suppressed. They're going to get canceled to get anywhere with the left. The only person that has a chance of reaching the left is somebody else who's maybe a little bit less on the left, but is, but is, is, is in their camp. In other words, I think, I think we're tilting at windmills. If you think they're going to listen to a guy like me, if you think they're going to listen to a candidate, uh, you know, like the type that I support and I know you support, I suspect you support anyway. And they're not going to listen to people like us because we are the enemy. We are the enemy, and we, are, we represent toxic masculinity and the dangerous patriarchy and all of the other stuff that I've been listing here, and they want nothing to do with it. The only way there's a shot is if it's somebody that's on their own side actually talks some sense to them. What do you think?
9: Well, I think uh, you make a fine argument, uh, but there's a lot of liberals who are just reflexively go with, 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 with the, what the leftists of their party are saying, or of their camp. And so, they're so used to looking at the right and saying, well, "Those are the boogeymen, right? Those are the people we have to go after." Um That if 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 you Bob, if you engage a leftist, right, and a leftist engages you, and you do it in front of a crowd, it's you guys are going to get in an argument. You'll probably win the debate, more than most likely, right? You'll win the debate, but there's a lot of others there. Even if you don't win the debate, there's a lot of others that are in the middle. They're going to hear the arguments that you, that you put forth. They have no clue what we believe. I have a better insight as to what, what their beliefs are and the kind of arguments that they, that they present. I understand many of those arguments. I don't understand them all. There's certain things I don't understand. Um, but uh, it will convince everyone else in the room. Maybe you're going to turn up a few heads in the room. So it's not, you're not trying to win necessarily the, the argument against that leftist. You're just trying to convince people that are sitting on the fence that are not sure about this. But,
2: but like I, I said, if I may, Dan, if it's not about winning the argument with them. It's a, it's allowing to have the argument. And that's what they don't do. And that's not going to – excuse me. That isn't going to change in, in, in bigger picture America by getting together in a room for an hour and a half. You know, they may listen to you for 10 minutes there. Try to bring any of that stuff that you say there online, and you're getting your account suspended. We see it all the time. The swimmer who got beaten by the guy in the national championships went online to complain about it and had her account taken away. So, I mean, it's, they control the flow of information. They control who can speak. It's not winning the argument. It's about being allowed to make the argument without having the points that you made um, uh, deleted. And I guess that's the kind of the issue that I have they 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 do everything they can to make sure that your side of the argument isn't even offered much less considered for for you know scoring points if you will and and there's nothing that at one of these meetings any of them quite frankly I think that's going to change that you know even if they do walk away saying hey he made some good points if they try to bring it online <laughs> the algorithm writers are going to delete them in 2 seconds so you try to reach a mass audience and reach you know, uh, enough people to make a difference in this country, and again, you're, you're, you you're have no shot. You have no shot at that.
9: Okay, but you, but, but you might be able to make it a grassroots thing because there's a lot of Democrats who feel homeless right now. They don't understand their party, I and mean, this is happening all over the place. Uh, Barry Weisstein, one name coming to mind, I know there's a bunch of others that have, uh, that were in the, the elite media circles and they have left. They were liberals. They were classical liberals that have left or even semi-classical or semi-leftist that
2: left If they if they to, really feel uh, that way though uh, Dan and, and, Dan if they really feel that way then they would do what they know needs to be done leave that party Leave that party. Declare yourself to be a, uh, well, an independent-minded conservative. Register independent if you want, or register Republican or whatever, but, but leave it and be loud about it. Don't just say, well, my party is doing this, and I disagree, and they tried to cancel me. Make it loud. Make it very, very, very obvious uh, that this is what has to be done, and maybe when more people start doing it, well, the conversation okay. can change.
9: Uh, so. I'd like to make I,
2: one other, con- but, but other it, point. Is it's that, 1126, I, so I'm way late, my friend. Make it super fast.
9: Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Um, I noticed the, uh, when the left leaves their party, or I'm sorry, when Democrats leave the party, they do it. There's a one domino. Like, this thing didn't make sense. And then as soon as you knock that over, I don't know which domino it is, but once that's not one domino knocks over, it it turns into this huge uh, eruption of, wait a minute, I have to leave this party. This This is absolutely wrong. So, I'm hoping Dan, you can hit the one domino. That's what I'm hoping yeah, to do.
2: And, and you know what? That's a, that's a great way to look at it. I like that analogy. Dan, thanks very much. Dan Messina, appreciate you hearing from you always. Uh, 1126, right back.
0: When the mainstream media is always left, tune your radio to the right, And find a voice of reason amid the liberal chaos. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer.
2: Cleveland, I love the new website and I'm really digging this sound off feature. My question for you is this. What do you think is going to be the ruling narrative for Republican Incorporated heading into the midterms and beyond? Should the Republicans take the reins on solving name your crisis here at home? Or will they distance themselves from populist libertarians like Rand Paul? for that matter where do you stand and what do you think helps conservatives long term with this assuming that these things are mutually exclusive thanks for your time uh that's a good question that was left on sound off listen um the answer to my question or to that question is america first that that's what has to be the first priority i disagree with jd vance though who says that we can't chew gum and walk at the same time i can totally let me rephrase we can totally um, re-institute America First policies while also engaging in issues involving our allies and our strategic partners in NATO. I'm not saying, of course, we go to war. I don't want to go to war with Russia at all. I don't want anything to do with what Biden had to say with with regime change. I want nothing to do with putting our fighters in the air and shooting down Russian jets. I don't want anything to do with that. But there are ways we can support the NATO effort and even though Ukraine is not part of NATO, that we can we can support them and their uh, desire for a no-fly zone without compromising the America First agenda here at home. So it's not an either-or. It's not a binary choice. We can do both. It's just that Joe Biden won't let us because he doesn't give a rat's red A about what's going on at our southern border. That's why I disagree with J.D. Vance so wholeheartedly, and I told him so on the air. See, so you can't you can't just say, well, we can't help Ukraine until we seal our southern border. Well, Biden's not gonna do that. And watching Russia reconstitute the Soviet Union because we haven't done the border yet is just foolhardy. And I told JD, I totally disagree with that. We can do both. It's just that we're choosing not to do both. So to me, for the Republicans going forward into November to answer the question, uh, what should we do? It's got to be America first. But we can do America first if we are in charge while also dealing with our our situations overseas.
8: Hi, Bob. Thanks for posting that uh, Josh Mandel information, misinformation that he continues to spew regarding what Mike Gibbons said. It makes me think that Josh wants to be one of the trifecta of idiots from cnn maybe he's waiting to apply there after he loses this election with his behavior but my advice is josh don't be a lemon
2: Uh, i assume that meant don lemon but what do you mean what do you mean trifecta of idiots on cnn Uh, there's far more than just two of them now there are many 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 of them but i understand your point um i'm disappointed with josh i brought this up before i'm very disappointed i like josh when i said At the start of this primary season, when I started to see the candidates emerge, that I said there was a lot of people I like that would be great conservative um, uh, senators filling that seat that Rob Portman has been holding for too long, not being conservative. Josh was one of them. He knows it. I've told him that many times. Uh, I would be very, very happy with Josh Mandel as our next senator. I am very, very disappointed with Josh Mandel right now. I think he is using gold star mothers with this campaign and veterans and uh, people like uh, General Flynn. He's using them to tell lies and to attack uh, an opponent who is leading in the polls with dishonesty, and I find it repugnant. I find it disgraceful. I I find it desperate, quite frankly. Josh is trailing now, and he is trying desperately to catch up, so he's trying to say that Mike Gibbons slandered veterans and military personnel. It didn't happen. We played the clip numerous times on this program. I played it for Josh. And I asked him. I said, let's talk about what he said to you, not what you want to claim that he said. He claimed that Mike Gibbons said you never worked. We played it over and over again. Mike Gibbons said you have never been in the private sector. And he interspersed that with you don't know squat. You don't know squat is not saying I hate the military you haven't worked in the private sector, isn't? military isn't real work. But now he's got gold star mothers out there in the $750,000 campaign claiming that Mike Gibbons said that military work isn't real work. He never said it. He's got a son in the military right now. Pretty sure he's proud of him and considers what he's doing work. I want Josh to do better. I want Josh to be better. I want him to be the stand-up Marine that I know that he is. He's, he's being tempted by perhaps people in his campaign who are guiding him, which is what I suspect, to, to play the dirtiest of Democrat dishonest politics. Accusing the front runner of saying something he didn't say. And the worst part about it is it's on tape and it's there for everybody. You're not in the private sector. You've never been in the private sector. Is not. You've never worked. And then to say... That even if he even if he had said to Josh Mandel you've never worked, to say that he is saying that of all veterans would also be a lie. So actually technically it's a second lie, and it's just not right. I want a good conservative to win this seat. Desperately, to win the primary and then to beat Tim Ryan in the general. Desperately. But I want that good conservative to act like a good conservative, not act like a Democrat. And this is a Democrat campaign right now. This is a Democrat tactic that is being used in this phase of Josh's campaign, and I want him to do better. And I know he can. He doesn't need to be this way. This is dishonest. you got plenty of things you can take shots at Mike Gibbons about. You go back to the China investments if you want. Go back to the fact that he's never served in public office and has never actually won an election and is too inexperienced. Do whatever you want, but just don't make up lies. He didn't say anything about military work not being real work. He didn't. And this campaign of using Gold Star Moms to say that he did is disgraceful. Josh, do better. Uh, Let's go to uh, TJ in Cleveland. Hi, TJ, go ahead.
6: Yeah, Bob, as you know, in the Catholic Church and the rites of exorcism, the number one cardinal rule is never, under any circumstance, Uh, Go with dialogue with the demon. Now, you know, these lefties out there, you know, with their policies of murdering babies and poisoning the mind of children, these are demonic people. It would be a huge mistake to engage in dialogue with these people. They don't need to be spoken to. They need to be exercised. And that's my opinion on this sitting down and trying to break bread with them.
2: TJ, I appreciate that, my friend, and I do not disagree, it, and thank you for the call. Um, I, I, I don't know that I would necessarily... Well, yeah, I guess I would. I've said they're evil, and that doesn't mean to a man or a woman. It doesn't mean to every person who registers with a D is evil. That's not what I'm saying. But the Ds who advance the leftist and Marxist agenda right now, is they're straight-up evil. And if they're the ones I'm supposed to sit down and break bread with and have a civil conversation with and try to convince them to not be evil... I just think that is it's a, it's a fool's errand. It's one that we cannot succeed in. They're never going to listen to you, they're never going to take you seriously. Evil doesn't do that. Pretty sure that uh well, I better stop there because I'm just about out of time. But thank you, TJ, for uh, kind of underscoring the point, and I do concur. If I left you on hold, I'm sorry. Keep those messages coming, by the way, to the uh, uh, alwayswrite.us uh, page. A lot of great news stories, by the way, up there uh, this morning, so check it out, US. Also, don't forget to visit the web store. Thanks, everyone, for a great show today. We'll talk to you tomorrow with Kirstenow on board. Let's go, Brandon